to the ICAEW Insights in Focus podcast. A very warm welcome to this podcast on access to finance, supporting small and growing businesses. My name is David Petrie and I'm Head of Corporate Finance at the ICAEW. With countries around the world finally emerging from the pandemic, companies of all shapes and sizes in many different sectors and locations are looking for funding, many for growth and some simply to stay in business. We'll be looking at a number of important areas for companies looking for finance and also for their advisors who are helping them in their search for new funding. I think few people would argue that much has changed in the way that we do business, but when raising finance, some things remain constant. While other sources of funding have opened up and other ways of doing things have become the norm, other things are just as they've always been. So the purpose of this podcast is to bring listeners up to date on issues such as what are the most important sources of funding available now? What does that mean for companies seeking to put in place a new capital structure for growth? How can early stage innovative companies fund growth? We'll be finishing with some do's and don'ts when it comes to raising finance. So to introduce our panel from the banks, Graham Sands is head of business products and lending at Virgin, which these days, of course, also incorporates Clydesdale and Yorkshire banks. Graham is head of business products and lending at Virgin Money and is a chartered accountant, albeit of the Scottish variety. Our next panellist is Maggie Rodriguez-Pisa. Maggie is the chief executive of Funding London, a fund of funds investing in venture and loan funds targeting the finance gap. Under her leadership, Funding London has launched three early-stage VC funds and two loan funds. More recently, Funding London launched an investment readiness programme to help SMEs understand the funding landscape. Steve Cordiner is head of unquoted investment at Gresham House Ventures, where he leads the new investment team, making investments of one to 10 million in growth companies. Steve spends his time investing into and sitting on the boards of high growth technology enabled businesses, and he's familiar with the challenges firms face as they seek to deliver a high growth business plan. Innovation and growth specialist Wendy Smith works to deliver Innovate UK Edge services to SMEs across the north of England. Through Innovate UK Edge, Wendy helps businesses to drive economic growth by supporting them to exploit innovation, attract new funding and finance, and also to access new markets. Asif Ahmed, Managing Director of Acclivity Advisors, which is a firm of accountants and advisors to entrepreneurs and to high-growth early-stage businesses, both nationally and internationally. And that is our panel for today's podcast. Let's come to Graham first of all and ask Graham a little bit about the landscape for funds and how that's changed. Graham, what from your position at the bank would you say is the most important source of funding for early stage and growing businesses just now? It's a good question and it changed a lot uh, last year obviously with the advent of the pandemic and the government supported loan schemes became very important. If you look at the UK finance debt system uh, that had stayed fairly flat for quite a long number of years, total system debt jumped up by about 30% last year. But we shouldn't uh, conclude that that was the only lending that was going on. I had a quick look at our uh, own origination, our new lending for uh, 2020. And for 2020, we actually lent slightly more on a BAU basis than we did using the government loan schemes. 
So, you know, summary would be government loan schemes hugely important last year and remained important into the beginning of this year. But, you know, the consistent provision of bank debt on a BAU basis was about equally as important last year. And when I look at where we are this year, it's becoming more and more and more important and a larger part of the total amount of lending. That said, 2020 left British SMEs with a higher debt burden coming out of the year than they had going into it. And I think that's going to be a drag on uh, debt demand going forward into the future. It's interesting to hear that, you know, business lending's kind of at similar levels. Okay, um, I'm going to ask Asif, actually, from um, an advisor's perspective. For early stage businesses, do you find that banks are still by far the most important uh, source of funds or what is it that you're finding at the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I mean we work with a lot of high growth businesses, some of whom are still sort of trying to establish a product market fit. They may not have a stereotypical P&L balance sheet in the typical metrics that a bank would look for. So, so I think to answer your question candidly, a bank is probably not the first place of funding that a, an early stage business would typically look to source money from. That changed slightly over the course of the pandemic, only because of the uh, the government backed loan schemes. And so we found that, you know, attitudes towards slightly less traditional businesses, particularly for the bounce back loan and others, was something that for the first time in, in this sector's history, I suppose, became a slightly easier conversation to have. But certainly our portfolio and companies alike still very much look towards the equity markets and private funding to bridge the gaps that they may have. Yeah, so the point you're making there is that very early stage businesses with no security aren't able typically to raise bank debt and rely on equity finance from business angels and so on. Correct. But actually, during the pandemic, some fairly entrepreneurial types have been able to get access to bounce back loans and, you know, and they're using them to good effect, actually, to start businesses. There's a lot of publicity about the, uh, the application of some of these bounce back loans. But I'm going to ask Graham, actually, while we've got a, a leading figure from a bank on the uh, tied into our uh, discussion today, Graham, what's the bank's perspective on the loan book in terms of uh, government-assisted schemes and, uh, and what's your perspective on the credit risk uh, that those represent? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, I agree with Asif that you know, early, very early stage businesses uh, seeking to raise finance, you know, the bank debt's probably not the place that they're going to look. Uh, I think, you know, I've talked uh, for many years that there are uh, specialist providers of, of debt to hire growing technology businesses. Virgin Money is one of them. Some of the other banks do something similar, uh, Silicon Valley Bank in particular, uh, I would suggest. But it seems right, you know, for, for smaller businesses looking to start up, I don't think a bank loan is, is actually, I don't think it's the most prudent place to start because of the credit risk. And, you know, banks are dialed pretty tight on credit risk. That's the way they're designed. That's the way they're designed by regulation. That's the way the financial system wants them to be. In terms of the credit risk behind bounce back loans, of course, the, the government absorbs the credit risk on a bounce back loan. Uh, banks still have to deal with operational risk. In other words, if we don't do it properly, uh, the government guarantee isn't necessarily good. And for the larger loans, the Siebel's loans, banks have a 20% credit risk compared to the full amount. That doesn't sound like much, but banks aren't designed to even take 20% losses on all their loans. So there's still a credit risk appraisal for uh, the Siebel's loans. But for the Bibbles loans, bounce back loans, those were designed uh, explicitly by HM Treasury to be largely uh, fraud aside, to be a self-certified loan and uh, treasury 
picks up the credit risk. The good news, David, is that from what we can see, the sort of scare stories last summer and autumn of 60% losses on those bounce back loans, those do look like they're scare stories. Too soon to tell the exact credit losses on those loans, but nothing like 60% or even remotely approaching it. So that's a really good news story, not just for, uh, not just for uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, but I think a really good news story for the British economy because it says those businesses are uh, a lot stronger than anyone thought they were. Maggie, I know that around the country there are various specialist loan funds established to help early stage businesses that may not have access to finance in the way that uh, Graham and Asif have uh, just explained. Could you talk a little bit about what is available to businesses seeking debt funding at that stage in their development? So my organisation, Funding London, is focused on helping SMEs that are based in London. However, there are very similar organisations like ourselves around the country, including the funds for the Midlands Engine, the Northern Powerhouse and Cornwall. And these funds are designed to help smaller businesses that won't necessarily have access to bank debt, either because they just don't have the track record that is necessary or because they are still quite early in their journey and it's not necessarily appropriate for them to have a bank loan. And so we have established loan funds that are looking to assist those businesses that are on a clear growth trajectory where there may or may not be some equity funding already, but where we can see that there is an ability to service a smaller loan. So in in the case of Funding London, we are lending up to one and a half million pounds to these businesses to support a growth strategy. And uh, there are similar products, as I mentioned, around the country. Let me ask her, Wendy Smith, the same question about uh, funding for early stage and innovative companies. How can you uh, help them? Well, we're in a very similar position to ASIF where the businesses are very early stage and predominantly the banks aren't the normal access point for those types of businesses. There are a range of other funding options and we're talking to businesses that are are using such things as crowdfunding, Innovate UK grants, but also their loans uh, and the Northern Powerhouse access to, to loans as well as investment funding too. Now, the process of applying for grants isn't necessarily straightforward. What, what advice would you give companies, Wendy, that are, are, are really looking to raise grant funding? Well, it's quite a dark art, I believe, the grant funding application. And I've actually just come off a meeting where we were discussing that the competition for grants is really, really high now. And that has been a result predominantly of the pandemic and the fact that a lot of funding went into Innovate UK smart grants, for example, last year. And now there's a lot of competition to win those grants. So you really need to understand what it is that the deciders of the competitions are looking for before putting a lot of time and effort into the application process because the chances are really really quite low about being successful because the companies that are going into these competitions are multiple now and have increased significantly there are other grants out there and and organizations such as myself will help you identify those grants in your areas of application that you're looking for so to perhaps better ring fence what it is and your chances of winning that so i think you need to really have a good think about whether grants is the best type of funding for your project so um thinking carefully about how you set out your proposition 
and also understanding the rules by which the grants are allocated is really key, as well as it sounds like getting expert advice. Absolutely. Really read what it says in the criteria for the grant. Don't try and shoehorn your project into it. You really need to make sure that you're meeting all the criteria that they've stipulated to get the best chance of winning. And if you don't, then you're probably better spending your time looking for the funding elsewhere. All right, let's come on to consider now slightly larger businesses seeking equity funding. So we're talking here about a sort of check from, say, 1 million up to 10 million in terms of equity. These are businesses that have probably already had some business angel support. So I'm going to ask Steve now if he could talk a little bit about the types of businesses that at Gresham uh, you're particularly interested in supporting. And what is it about an application or a business plan that would particularly impress you and make you say, out of, say, a pile of 100, this is one that we really want to support? We invest very much into software and technology companies, sitting in areas that we see long-term structural growth. So areas such as e-commerce, healthcare, financial services, and other areas where we see um, the increasing use of technology, which is going to be a fundamental longer term trend. So that can be things like use of the cloud, use of automation technologies. When we are meeting companies and appraising investment opportunities, we very much focus on sound fundamentals. So at the point we are investing, we will typically want to see that the company has demonstrated a degree of product market fit. So we typically aren't getting involved when a company is first starting out or wanting to prove that there is some demand for their product. We will typically start to get involved when maybe they've sold a million pounds worth of sales and have a clearer view as to what market they're targeting, why their customers need their products, And then we really spend time wanting to help work out how we can accelerate the growth of those businesses. What we often see, however, is in those early days for some companies, they're very much focused on sales and revenue. They're often not thinking through the unit economics of their business and their business model. And that's where we try and add a lot of help really in terms of where should companies focus, um, how should they execute, And really stepping back to have confidence that these businesses, as they grow, will make money. You're listening to the ICAEW Insights in Focus podcast. Maggie, what would you um, say, uh, perhaps to build on the points that Steve's just been making about uh, business models and so on? Are there particular sectors that equity funds are particularly interested in supporting And alternatively, are there some things where you'd think, "Mm, we really need to work out how this business, what it needs to do, what we'd like to see it do to get itself ready to take equity investment? I think the the sectors that Steve has mentioned are sectors that are really important for the UK. And therefore, we, we see those sectors as very, very attractive in terms of their ability to generate growth, especially the point about enabling business models to be more efficient with the use of technology and artificial intelligence. It's something that we have seen grown in the past few years and I'm sure will continue. 
Another sector that I think is incredibly important now is uh, net zero technologies or what we in our business call, at Funding London, we call the circular economy, where there is an impetus to design products to be recycled from the start. And, and that is an area that at Funding London we're very focused on making sure we're helping to grow. Thank you, Maggie. Graham, from a bank's perspective, can I ask you that question? What's the most useful thing that you would say to a customer, you really want to get your accountant to help you with that? I think from a bank's perspective, it's quite an important question, David, because um, unlike you know the equity providers we, we've heard from who are very, very close to a small number of businesses, we're a little less close to a larger number of businesses, and we are quite reliant on uh, the financial information to make decisions. It sometimes surprises customers, but it probably ought not to. So I think, David, the one thing, I was just to pull one thing out, is to make sure that the management accounting information squares up reasonably accurately to the statutory accounts at the end of the year, particularly in areas like ongoing treatment of work in progress and valuation of work in progress. It can be a big shock when those management accounts you've been relying on all year just don't really tie up to the stat accounts and the significant adjustments. So making sure that the business is uh, doing each month what you'd expect them roughly to do at the end of the year, that's super helpful for banks. Yeah, and I know a lot of businesses these days, because of the increasing complexity, and I'm sure I can say this being from the Institute of Chartered Accountants, the difference between cash accounting and actually statutory accounting is, is really, you know, for a variety of different businesses, can be very significant. I imagine you do still encourage business owners to really keep a close eye on their uh, their cash balances. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, increasingly these days, we can keep a good eye on cash balances as well. That's one of the advantages of uh, technology and banking. So it's a great deal easier, I suppose, than it used to be. That is one of those great advantages. And uh, But it's very interesting to hear you say you do want everything to tally because uh, no surprises is, is still pretty important. Let me ask um, Asif the same question, actually. As an advisor to companies raising finance, what do you find is, the, you know, sometimes the most useful advice that you think you've given to a client? So I think the slight nuance between preparing for equity finance as opposed to bank debt is that it's less pro forma driven. So, you know, because there are less, I suppose, tangible metrics to put into a pro forma as you as you may be able to put in for a bank application. So actually, whereas sort of accrual based cash accounting is actually quite relevant for statutory accounts and to make sure that it complies with what a bank is wanting to see. Actually, a lot of the metrics that translate into momentum and things that a, a venture capitalist might be looking for may not translate that well through accrual accounting. So, so a lot of the time it's helping the client bridge and triangulate effectively the difference between what it is that will display momentum, how that tallies with the management accounts and what ultimately will end up in the statutory accounts. And all of that sort of goes through what we sort of call a process of growing up where a company needs to not only understand its financials internally, but they need to be able to translate externally. And ultimately, all of those processes, we sort of put a virtual aim to ensure that a due diligence process by an external venture capitalist shouldn't tell you something about your business that you didn't already know. And for some early stage businesses, that actually can take some work. Mm, I'm sure it can, particularly as due diligence providers often like to um, sell their services on the basis that they are going to tell everybody involved something about the business that they didn't already know. 
Steve, um, would you agree with Asif on this? Uh, and perhaps you'd just pick up one or two other points there in terms of some of the things that you have seen accountants do for some of the businesses that you might be thinking of supporting and think, you know, that was really useful. That helped us make a decision about backing that business. I would echo the comments that have been made so far. When we meet businesses that are looking to raise equity from us, when something we really do look for are those businesses that have good quality information ready and to hand. And that's not just a set of management accounts, it'll also be a suite of KPIs on the areas of the business that really matter. Now that's important to us and actually what we tend to find is in the first year after we invest, we spend a huge amount of time making sure the business is really in control of itself. That means it can understand the changes it's going through. It can understand in detail you know, what's happening in the business, be that in terms of how efficient their spend on marketing is, uh, what's happening in different social channels, just really, really being in control. And we deeply believe that good quality MI, good quality finance functions is vital to any business that's got a lot of ambition to grow. The types of areas we often see companies that will get further support, in particular during an equity round and also after the event, will be um, not just in terms of the reporting and filing and tax areas that we might often see to get the information together, but often it's in terms of areas such as which financial systems to implement, or if a company is going to look to internationalize, what does that mean in terms of which state in the US to open up into or how to deal with those types of challenges that is something which is rather unusual, I think, now from the point of view of younger, high growth companies tend to internationalize earlier and have the types of problems that many companies maybe 10 or 15 years ago wouldn't face as frequently. So, Wendy, we talked in passing about funding for early stage innovative businesses, but we didn't really get round to defining what we mean by an innovative business. How would you define it and what can they do to ensure that application for funding is successful? Well, business innovation can include and encompass new ideas, process, products or services to improve the core business and encourage growth. So we're looking at a whole range of sectors that are being innovative in their approach to to growth. They could be new products for themselves or new products to then commercialise and sell across all the different range of sectors. So if you're if you're looking at R&D tax credits, those are the sorts of products that you would see were being innovative. Going out to investors and getting yourself pitch ready to demonstrate what it is about your product or service that is being innovative and is going to grow exponentially is key. And I think it's really important that the accountants in the audience would recognise that introducing their client base, especially the SMEs, to organisations such as Innovate UK Edge, which is fully funded by Innovate UK, to help any innovative SME on their growth platform would be a really good way that they could go forward in getting them pitch ready and giving them coaching on grants and market research and how best they can prepare themselves for going out and growing. And Asifa, you might want to come in here and uh, talk a little bit about how companies can prepare for this early stage investment, perhaps from business angels and perhaps from grants and really 
ideally from a combination of the two. Sure. So actually, it's interestingly, we deal with this definition obscurity around exactly what innovation means, even in our job, mainly because I think to the average person, innovation means doing something faster, better, cheaper than it's been done before. And most people can rally around that as a pretty good definition for what innovation means. But What's interesting is in the grant providers, as well as HMRC from an R&D tax credit perspective, they've hard-coded almost what innovation means in order for companies to be eligible. And so part of the preparation that we often find we are providing for companies is sort of differentiating between innovation because it is faster, better, cheaper versus innovation in accordance with the definitions that have been highlighted by HMRC and Innovate UK. And to touch on that lightly, HMRC, for example, suggests that innovation is only something where a technical uncertainty has been overcome. So you may well be you know, selling widgets faster than they've ever been sold before, but if it's not solving a technical uncertainty, it wouldn't qualify for innovation via an R&D tax credit. So that's a bit of a sort of nuanced preparation, I'd say, that accountants need to help with. And, and much, um, much can depend, I guess, on getting professional advice on exactly how you set out your case to HMRC. That's the trick there, isn't it, with Absolutely. these R&D tax credits, that you are often, in fact, almost always doing something slightly different and it's all about making sure that that is appreciated um, at the other end of the uh, assessment process. Yeah, and I think sometimes that can be difficult to stomach for some companies because, you know, for all intents and purposes, they believe they're innovative, but sometimes it doesn't translate in, into what's available for grant funding. If their customers think what they're doing is innovative, though, they'll buy the products or services, so that'll add to cash flow, so hopefully that will solve the problem in a slightly <laughs> different way. All right, I'm going to ask the panel now if we could uh, have perhaps one thing that uh, they'd like to see businesses doing well when they're raising external finance and something that they may have seen anonymized if necessary, which they would really recommend a company doesn't do when it's seeking external funding. I'm going to go to Graham first as the bank manager. What should customers do and what should they really not do? Look, not one for the long term, but one for right now when uh, you're raising money is go check, given all the disruption there's been over the last year and a half, go check your supply chain still works the way you think it does and still check that the cash generation of your business and the phasing of that still works the way it does. Because you know, I think the point you made earlier is right. One of the best sources of finance is internally generated cash. It's not the most fashionable and it's not the only source and to grow very quickly it can't be the only source but go check how your cash works in your business and we've got some particular concerns right now around about supply chain disruption so go check that i would say as a, a short-term post-pandemic finance raising tip in terms of what not to do i think businesses that don't have a very clear encapsulation of uh, why they have a right to win and why they're better than the competition and strangely, there seems to be a lot of those, are really going to struggle to raise, certainly equity finance. I think you need to be able to snappily and punchily tell people why you do what you do better and uh, what hard problems you've solved for your customers in the market. Graham, just to push you a bit further on that, could you give us an example maybe of the type of thing that you're describing there? Well, we've seen quite substantial disruption in supply chains over the last six months. So whether that's the cost of containers suddenly leaping up and people not having forecast for that, or uh, we're beginning to see things like increased labour costs, particularly in the care sector. Those are coming through quite strongly. 
or just things which I think are a little bit more short term, but may not have an immediate resolution round about you know, customs and Brexit related issues. There's been a lot of changes in the last 18 months. Not everything's working quite the same way as it did. Doesn't mean it won't get back to normal. Doesn't mean the end of the world. But it's worth as businesses restart, just checking in on that. And Asif, what would you recommend in terms of the right thing that businesses should be doing when seeking funding and, and what should they really not be doing? Sure. So particularly on the sort of early stage equity funding side, I think one big do, shall we say, is to try and encourage companies to optimise for venture capitalist fit as opposed to terms. So what do you mean by that? I think you're going to have to explain. So, so, so to ensure that the partner, the venture capitalist, financier, whoever it is that you're taking money from, particularly when you're sort of trying to rationalise and double down on a hypothesis, that it's one that can help you on that journey and has some credibility in that sort of space in the whatever category that you're working in. As a per- so are you saying that, what I think you're saying is that if, if a business angel or a venture capital firm don't understand the business, it may not be your fault in the way that you're explaining it. It's just if they don't like it, mm. they won't invest in it, will they? And you no. need to go to somebody else. It, well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's almost better to take the wrong terms from the right investor than the right terms from the wrong investor. Um, oh, that's interesting. Because, because ultimately the wrong investor won't help you get anywhere even if you've got the right terms. You know, that, that's particularly relevant for maybe slightly later than early stage businesses, for, you know, where in the earlier stages it really is about just proving a concept. But particularly once you've established a path, your financiers really should be people that can help you along that way. And then a, a big don't for me really is, is to make sure funding and equity financing isn't left too late. And it's, you know, it's always, I suppose, easier to fix the roof whilst the sun is shining. And I think um, businesses often make a lot of, sort of inexcusable errors when sort of desperation creeps into funding. And so it's, it's always better to, you know, always have your finger on the pulse in terms of what the capital requirements are of the business so that you can plan your processes accordingly. Right. So I think we, what we're saying in summary is when you're looking for external funding, the best thing that you can possibly do is go to a bank and an equity provider and probably both in very many cases where you really feel that those people understand your business. Absolutely. They really get what it is that you do, the markets you serve, and ideally also that, that they like you and they understand your personal motivation. They're people you can get on with and that you'll enjoy doing business with because you know a funding provider, whether it's a bank or a, a, an equity provider, is going to be with, with the business for some time and they'll be a, a, a very important part of your, of your life. Absolutely, yeah. All right. So thank you very much indeed to the panel on this podcast, to Graham Sands, to Maggie Rodriguez-Pisa, to Steve Cordiner, to Wendy Smith and to Asif Ahmed for all their help and advice today. We hope that it will help you get the right kind of funding into your business and help you achieve your growth plans. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear more from ICAEW, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.